We have the love of my life, Samara Aguilar, today. She was the first episode that I ever recorded, but our lucky number is 222, so I wanted her to be episode 2, released on Tuesday, February 22nd of 2022, just for, for fun. Um, she's my soulmate, a bona fide badass, and expressed so much raw vulnerability and authenticity as we talked about working to overcome her eating disorder and then channel that compulsion into something healthier. She was really nervous and hesitant about releasing this side of her into the world, but realized that it's only by owning our truth and our story that we can have the greatest effect on others. I was lost when we stumbled into each other's lives three years ago, and I am so thankful and so blessed to have such a loving, generous, and supportive partner in life, and I think she has so much wisdom and insight that everyone can learn from. I'm so proud of her for always being so unconditionally devoted to growth and expansion, and we really do become the people that we surround ourselves most with. And that's why community, and specifically having a healthy community, is so important. And so I'm so grateful and thankful that she is the primary part of my community. So, without further ado, here is Samara Aguilar that it was like my body became a walking trophy of my willpower. I felt like I didn't have anything. I felt like I wasn't smart or funny or pretty or talented or I felt like I just wasn't anything. And so this was kind of my way of being like, well, I can do this and no one can take it away from me because I control my body. Most of the time, I'm not going to be actually spooning people physically, but that is an exception today because we're with my soulmate right here. Oh my gosh. Go ahead and introduce yourself. Hello, my name is Samara Gonzalez. I am an actor in the DFW area. You were working in, you know, mm -hmm. a typical restaurant job and it had been a while yes. since you'd acted. So talk about kind yes. of that transition. And Well, I was a manager of a restaurant for about six years. Uh, it was it was great. It was great work as far as working in restaurants go. It was the the holy grail and I had a lot of kind of sweet benefits and sweet perks and stuff and I was a college dropout so it was very very cushy job for me. Why did you drop out of college? A lot of reasons. I, I, I don't think I was focused enough. I think I was also kind of in a, in a dark place in terms of what decisions I was making and I was drinking a lot mm. a lot a lot to the point where my focus was mainly you know going out at night instead of focusing on my schoolwork and I also just knew I wanted to be an actor I guess there was a part of me that didn't want to have a degree because I didn't want to have a backup option for myself I wanted to make sure that I would um, I eventually get my shit together and commit fully to acting. I knew I was going to do that. I just didn't know when. And uh, so it was I think... making sure almost that you had no other reason, <laughs> no other thing to do but that. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. I, I promised myself that this was what I was going to do. And I'm a big believer in, you know, you're in control of, of where you want to go. And I, I've always believed that if you if you have like a pure intention for why you want something and you work your ass off, then something good will come of it and you never know exactly where you're going to end up but it's like you're it's like a good um uh what do you call it like a lighthouse for you like a good uh hmm. north star if you will oh north star okay <laughs> yeah so then talk about how you how you got into redacted from the record and 
kind of because you were there for five years, right? Uh huh. Yeah, I was there for six years. Six um, years. Okay. Yeah, I started waiting tables there in college, and um, they promoted me to manager pretty quickly um, while I was still in college, and made that dumb decision of well, I mean, looking back, I guess it wasn't a dumb decision because. I'm so happy with where I'm at and who knows if I would have gotten here if I hadn't made that decision, but just was making pretty good money and decided that that was more important than pursuing my studies. But yeah, I was there for six years and I started to get really um, depressed probably around my third year there just because I knew it wasn't what I wanted to do and I had kind of hit... um, like a a ceiling there like there wasn't really any more room for growth or for learning anything new which that's always been something really important for me is to feel like I'm learning and evolving and I felt like I couldn't do that so 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 you said you started feeling that on year three yeah so why did it why did you stay there for three more years oh my god I wish I knew the answer to that (laughs) I wish I I I knew but it was what can I say of pulling the trigger do you think I'm sure. I'm sure fear was a big part of it. Um, it was just so easy. It was just so easy and I was comfortable and I had my routine and and definitely I think I was afraid of having to... I, I think I'll tell you the, the thing I was the most afraid of was failure because I knew that if I actually went for it and actually started towards that path, then I knew there would be no going back. Mm. And I didn't know if I could live with myself knowing that I had failed just because I... It's, you know, one of the only things I've ever wanted in my life is to... I love that because I feel like so many people get in that trap of, oh, shoot, things are comfortable. Mm -hmm. This isn't what I want to do, but by leaving this comfortability, it gives me an opportunity to completely screw everything up. Exactly. In in their opinion, I guess. Exactly. Yeah, there's definitely a safety in feeling like... um, it's predictable like you know what to expect so there's you have control over it yeah you have control over it which segues you, you know pretty beautifully my issues with um, that because yeah. i i know you've you so talk a little bit about how you know control has kind of manifested in your life and how it's because oh i know we've talked about this and mm-hmm. we've talked about it before <laughs> before we recorded this so she, it's not me bringing something up yes. she's not comfortable talking about i think i've always had issues with it a little bit um where exactly they originate from, I'm not really sure, but I've always been a perfectionist. Um, my mom will even tell you that ever since I was a child, I had very um, perfectionistic tendencies and would get very easily frustrated if things weren't, you know, mm-hmm. completely right. So when I was 12, um, it kind of manifested itself into a full blown eating disorder. So I just didn't really eat for. <laughs> gosh, probably like eight years or so. I was uh, pretty obsessive about counting calories and having a pretty strict uh, Because I remember we've had so many conversations about food where you can just immediately tell me the exact (laughs) calorie point of so many different... Well, Well, one of the ways that I guess the control is kind of linked to the eating disorder is that when you're able to have like such a tangible representation of what you're eating, i.e. in calories or in grams of fat and how many calories you burned and and so on and so forth it's like a safety that like you did well that day so it's like no matter what you have this numerical representation that's indisputable Mm -hmm. that you succeeded and that you were able to control something and that you were more importantly that you were able to control the outcome of something and that you were able to 
do what you said you were going to do. That it was like my body became a walking trophy of my willpower. I felt like I didn't have anything. I felt like I wasn't smart or funny or pretty or talented. or I felt like I just wasn't anything. And so this was kind of my way of being like, well, I can do this. And no one can take it away from me because mm. I control my body. And it's, I think your body in a way is, is, I don't want to say that. I don't want to say that your body is like the representation of how you treat your life because it's not. But I think in my fucked up brain, that's the way that I looked at it is like, well, I did this. So that means that I can maybe apply this willpower to something else. And in a way I was kind of able to extract that in a positive way. I was able to be like, um, understand that I did have, um, <laughs> for lack of a better word, dedication to something, mm-hmm. you know. Would you say that part of the positive was manifesting that into this newfound love of the gym? Because, uh, I mean, not newfound now, yeah. but when you were getting into it. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Like five um, years, you said you've been doing it for five years now. Yeah, because the gym, well, specifically with weightlifting is... It's kind of that same thing with the numbers, except instead of, you know, obsessively counting calories and starving myself, now it's more of like a strength thing. So I love having that tangible mm-hmm. way to track my progress with regards to the numbers. And it, that's what I love about it is it's the numbers. It's like, oh, last time I did four sets of 10 of this. Now I can do five sets of 10 of this. And last week I was at this weight and now I'm at this weight. And I just love having like, I just love having that impersonal mm-hmm. um, thing that that says I progressed versus it being like an abstract feeling. I like the mm-hmm. the cold hard facts about it, I guess. So the the impersonality of it, would you say it it might stem from almost a distrust of kind mm. of the more personal external that's factors. a that's a beautiful and uh wonderful insight absolutely i definitely think i i probably have a little bit of issues with um yeah mm-hmm. definitely <laughs> i'm a little taken aback because i i definitely agree with that so while while you were working at redacted from the record al having a bit of a hectic schedule oh, gosh. <laughs> were you still able to get the gym in there uh, well, yeah, no, I never, I don't let anything ever get in the way of the gym, which is kind of the same quality that I had when I was starving myself, only now it's like channeled positively. And interesting, <laughs> so would you, would you, po- I don't know for sure, but would you possibly say that maybe going to the gym helped um, encourage you to eat? Because I know yeah, that you absolutely. have to eat to keep those, those sure. gains coming and uh, oh, yeah, you're so obsessed about making sure you get all your protein and <laughs> muscle milk is probably 95% of your yeah. body at this point. Yeah, no, um, I definitely got addicted to feeling strong and feeling like, yeah. feeling like, and maybe this, I'm sure maybe somebody listening is like, well, you really just replaced one thing with another, which is true. Um, that's definitely very fair. Isn't I didn't that like the get, goal? get rid of the crux of it. Yeah. Yeah, that's I was I was going to say like I don't know that you can ever totally get rid of anything. I think you can only channel the energy in a more positive way. Mm. I'm not a therapist, so maybe maybe not. <laughs> but uh, for now, it's, you know, it's it's better than it was. It's the best way you can you can kind of look at it to positively affect you right now. Right. And so if it's working for you now, I mean, why? Yeah, if mess it ain't with broke, that? why fix it? Yeah, yeah. Um, um, 
the downside was, is, as you were, I think you were about to ask me, was mm-hmm. that I did kind of like, and even now to this day, I'm still very, I don't let anything get in the way of my routine with it just because I, I thrive on it so much. And I, I think I, I benefit so much from having like a, a steady routine and, and knowing that I can count on it. And so when I was working, redacted from the record, I would work five or six hours in the morning for a lunch shift. I would get a two hour break and then come back and close the restaurant. And in that two hour break, um, I sure did go to the gym and came back just disgusting and sweaty. So you sweaty. didn't shower at all? I didn't shower. No. <laughs> it's so gross looking back. <laughs> Ugh. But that was like the only time I had to do it and I mm-hmm. would freak out if I if I missed it. Not freak out, but I felt like um, it just said something about me if I missed it. And I guess yeah. I would get scared of, oh, if I miss this workout, then what, what if I miss the next workout? And then I miss the mm-hmm. next workout. What if this becomes a pattern? And then what if I slack off and... I think I I get scared of once I have a good thing going, I get scared of fucking it up. So mm, that fear of losing good circumstances. Yeah, yeah, which is I guess another <laughs> manifestation of control. Yeah, but well, at least we we know kind of a primary thematic device throughout your life <laughs> is figuring out how to take that control and use it for you instead uh-huh. of let it work against you. You you talked a lot about the power of routine and how Mm -hmm. it it almost grounds you yeah do you think that has sort of manifested from some of the the issues of anxiety you've had in the past and oh yeah could you maybe expunge on on what that feels like (laughs) for people that haven't you know fully (laughs) i'm laughing at expunge (laughs) i mean hey it's a good word it's a high level word I, I was laughing yeah. earlier because you were picking the little dog hairs off yeah. of your tights, but we could hear it on oh, the no. microphone. No, it's oh, fine. It's well. just it's good to explain that sound was her picking little little, little dog hairs dog off hairs. of her yes. off of her beautiful you said periwinkle tights. Periwinkle tights. Her beautiful yes. periwinkle oh, tights. Well thank you. Yes. Periwinkle is her favorite color it and I do color. I mentioned that because I don't think I've heard periwinkle said by another human being in like five years. Really? So I feel like it's a it's a less respect, not less respected, but anyway, it anxiety. It doesn't sound like a real word. I yeah. get you. Yeah. It's kind of like, um, it's kind of also how I always confuse gazebo with bazooka. <laughs> I know you've had a lot of issue with anxiety in the past and mm. uh, I wanted to see if you could expunge on that <laughs> a little bit. Um, kind of for people that don't necessarily understand what that might feel like what maybe an anxiety attack feels like oh well first of all i'm so jealous of you whoever's out there that doesn't (laughs) understand what that feels like it's very physical actually which is you don't really totally understand that it's your brain that's doing it because the symptoms are so physical and they vary from person to person but for me it kind of starts to feel like i can't breathe and i start to feel like i i get all of these weird pains and um kind of feel like I have to throw up and then I have to like Mm. catch my breath it basically if I had to compare it to anything it's kind of like you feel like you're on the edge of a cliff and you're about to fall off you just kind of have that sense of impending doom like something bad is going to happen and Mm. you don't know where it's coming from and a lot of the times there's no like logical reason for it it just can kind of come out of nowhere um interesting so it's an insight I had about myself because why I don't think it's necessarily uh I don't think it's necessarily an anxiety attack I don't think it's that extreme but I noticed I get in those weird spaces when I also fall into like the perfectionistic Mm -hmm. kind of situations where I don't meet those expectations do you think that might have anything to do with it 
Um, or is it yeah, really just no, sure. no really through line? Um, it's just kind of, it hits you and you just try to hold on as. Yeah, no, I definitely think that that it, it comes from like, you're perceiving a lack of control in whatever mm. situation it is. Um, so I do get that from creative endeavors, um, which is a huge reason why I am so attracted to being an actor and why I, um, I think my soul kind of wants to learn how to let this go. And I think acting is the perfect way to kind of mm. master that. And I definitely have felt like I've made strides, but it, it's random sometimes just random triggers. I'll get it, um, socially a lot. Um, mm. if I'm in a foreign situation, I have gotten a lot better about it. I used to not be able to have a conversation with people and oh my God, when I was waiting tables, I was just about the most awkward person. Tell ever. them about the Swiss cheese incident. Oh gosh. I, well, that wasn't really man anxiety as much as it was like just I, just, I was ill prepared. I just love that story so much. I didn't know. Well, it's it's kind of hard to explain if you haven't waited tables, but basically, when you're waiting tables, it's like inception time. Like one minute is not one minute. One minute is actually like an hour of things that you can get done if you're really busy. And basically, um, it was in the middle of a lunch rush, and I was waiting on a table, and this guy asked me what came on the sandwich, and I was fairly new. And I didn't know. And I just found myself lying. Uh, I just (laughs) (laughs) made up ingredients instead of being honest and saying, I don't know. Let me check that for you. I was just busy. And and that was what was in my heart in that moment was to just um, make stuff up. And I told him it came with Swiss cheese. And the guy was like, okay, well, let's just do without the tomatoes. And I, for whatever reason, went out of my way to be like, but you still want the Swiss cheese. And he was like, uh, yeah, why not? (laughs) And it could have been fine. You know, I could have just rang it in and typed it in, but I'm never okay with, uh, just, Mm -hmm. uh, half-assing it. So of course I like ran to the back of the kitchen and I asked a chef, like what comes on this? And they didn't know. And then I Mm -hmm. asked a manager and they didn't know. I asked like four different servers and they didn't know what came on the sandwich. So long story short, I don't think anyone at that restaurant really knows the menu. Yeah. You but know anyway, what you know um, what was funny about that story though is that you didn't we can hear all that. Oh, scratching. sorry. No, you're good, you're good. Scratch away, just letting you know. <laughs> um no, like it's funny because you initially you didn't wanna look it up because you were busy and you wanna save time. Uh-huh. And so in turn by lying, you in turn had yeah, all of these other hoops that ass. you had to yeah. go go through to make sure Swiss cheese was on that sandwich. Yes. Just cause I, I that was easier than owning up to saying that, oh, I don't know something. Which is mm-hmm. also a huge fear I have of is looking like I don't know something. Mm. So a lot of the times I'll compensate by just like not saying anything or do you think that comes also from that fear of control? Like almost controlling oh, your yeah, perception? Absolutely. So you don't want to ever um, seem... Yeah, for sure. I think... Um, yeah, for sure. I think I, I always... I think I want people to like me mm. <laughs> so badly that I I get scared of uh, appearing vulnerable or appearing stupid. Definitely appearing stupid. I never want to look stupid. I know that... Delirium's Daughters was was kind of like a, a comeback, in mm-hmm. a way, a comeback project for you. Um, yes, Delirium's Daughters was a play that... Oh, um, yes, maybe I should have explained that. <laughs> well, um, <laughs> sorry, go ahead. <laughs> no, you're, no, what I mean is I, I, I just forgot to explain what Delirium's Daughters was. I just assumed everyone would know what it was. Oh, no, no, you're good, you're good. Uh, um, 
okay. if you'd like to talk, okay, talk about yes. Delirium's daughters, yes. kind of how how did you find out about it? What changes mm. came throughout yes. the process? So I was because in a way it was kind of like you finally after you know you had those fears at that three year mark that uh-huh. this wasn't what you wanted to do. You'd gotten comfortable, and then by that six year yeah, mark, you finally just, uh... this was one of those. Yeah, no, I was in just a horrible period of just self-loathing and depression because I, you know, I wasn't doing what I wanted to do, and I was, ugh, I was just in the middle of a lot of. I didn't like myself. I didn't respect myself because I was not doing what I wanted to do. I was in a relationship I was so deeply unhappy with, and um, just kind of coasting and just kind of existing and not like really fighting for what it is I wanted, and so I really didn't like myself, and I finally worked up the courage to go audition for this play which I thought maybe this will be good for me um will get me back in the creative swing of things and I also kind of intuitively knew that it was going to be the first the first cut was always going to be the deepest it was always just that first step that takes the most courage to Mm -hmm. and whatnot so I heard about this audition uh through an email from Rover Drama Works which is a uh local uh regional theater here in Plano Plano Texas and I just went and auditioned and I actually almost didn't go because I had mm-hmm. a pretty bad stomach ache that day but I was like no I'm gonna go I'm gonna muscle through heck yeah I Fuck did that stomach ache yeah um I went and I did and um I actually auditioned for another thing earlier that week Mm -hmm. and they called and offered me the part for that and I turned it down without me knowing that I was going to get the part in Delirium's Daughters because I wanted to hold out for it. I just, I knew, yeah. What about that? What about Delirium's Daughters made you want to hold out for it? I have no idea. I just felt Mm -hmm. connected to it um, and I felt excited about it, which I think is always a huge sign. I think anytime Mm -hmm. you're excited about something, I think that's your soul letting you know that that's... That's like your next um, like little guidepost. Yeah. Like a little whisper. Exactly. Exactly. So I uh, went and I got the part and my life was forever changed for the better. Mm-hmm. How so? I mean, I know, <laughs> but... Well, I met you, Aww. which is the, the biggest blessing ever. Um, I feel the same about you. Thank you. Um, <laughs> yeah, and then... Uh, I just rediscovered my my fire. I just uh, I mm-hmm. felt alive again for the first time in fuck I don't know how long, and I knew I had to keep going with it. Because um, I know shortly shortly thereafter. So ooh, talk talk a little bit about how redacted from the record. Al was getting getting very or should we say redacted from the record. Oh. <laughs> Huh. Uh, we shouldn't name drop them but... yeah i'm gonna bleep that out in post <laughs> okay. uh so we don't talk about the restaurant talk about how unnamed restaurant uh was kind of fighting you on because i know for oh, a while you yeah. were you were trying to tell them that you were you mm-hmm. needed to be available for and that you even took a pay cut right i did um, yeah that, which was fucking stupid in retrospect yeah i took a i was salaried and then i ended up uh saying hey i want to do theater and i will get paid hourly which meant i was going to be working roughly the same amount of hours for less than half of my paycheck and I did that for a year without actually having booked anything because I mm. wanted the freedom to, once I did book something, for to be like, okay, well, you know, the schedule is on y'all now then. 
And, uh, you know, it didn't really work out that way. And I had taken the pay cut, and so I, I felt some type of way about it. But in retrospect, I'm so grateful that it worked out that way because it was pushing me to leave. Mm-hmm. Not that, listen, the restaurant was so good to me. I learned so many good things. I'm so fucking grateful to have worked there because in a way, it was more of a college to me than college was because it really forced me to get my shit together. I was working with people that were twice as old as me. Mm-hmm. They were professionals. Um, it really forced me to grow the fuck up. And it was the first environment where people actually had like really high expectations for me. So I'm grateful for it. But, you know, you, you outgrow things and you if you you got to keep learning you got to keep growing and i once i stopped doing that then yeah. you know i kind of started to feel like i was dying a little bit not to be dramatic but <laughs> well for sure i mean you know just just because you're leaving a place doesn't mean that there's no good memories and it doesn't right. mean that it wasn't a great place it's just mm-hmm. there has to be a point where you need to free up you need to free up your time for mm-hmm. for what needs to be there and when that's no longer that, yeah. that unnamed restaurant then yeah and I, I and i applaud you for having that courage because it's it takes a lot of guts to just cold turkey be like okay i don't i don't know you know where i'm gonna go from here but i just yeah. i just know that this is not the right place and you you followed that gut instinct well, thank you thank you so much i'm yeah i'm proud of myself for it because i didn't i didn't have a backup plan and i'm still figuring everything out and everything's worked out and somehow I've been busier now that when I quit than I was when I was working full time which cause... makes sense so uh, and this is this is sort of Kyle Cece Kyle Cece <laughs> is a is a is a he, he wrote this great book he basically just talked about how getting rid of all of the negative kind of ways you're spending your time allows the room for mm-hmm. all the other positive ways to come in and so yeah. when you make yourself available things will come to fill that. Yeah, and so you I made yourself you made yourself available so that the the and I I'm sure too you probably feel more busy because it's more fulfilling work coming your way yeah. as well. No, I definitely feel like I'm forever falling and getting caught by nets. Like mm. that's just my existence now is just a a progression of like, oh my god, I don't know what I'm doing and then everything turns out fine and then something mm-hmm. else and it's um, and so my like trust, I guess, is is growing a lot, and I've definitely gotten to a good place of everything. Really does work out, and it's never like quite exactly the way that you think it's going to be, but it's always what you need, mm. you know. Uh, mm-hmm. As wise philosopher Mick Jagger once said, <laughs> "You don't always get what you want, but yeah, if you try, sometimes." Back when we first, you know, started kind of becoming friends and especially when we started Glenn's class which I know mm-hmm. you said you wanted to, to talk about oh, yes a major word that you had as almost like a mantra in a way was that word surrender oh gosh you yes. said surrender at still F- I think I used to equate it with giving up and with failing and now I realize that it's actually about trusting completely and I think um I've always wanted that I've always wanted the sense of trust that I don't have to white knuckle my way through everything and I don't have to force anything to to Mm. be and in fact things always turn out better when I don't when I have like a you know a vision and uh an idea but I um am open to the process and I let the process be like not to sound cheesy but like have it be like a collaboration with the present moment and let that Mm -hmm. reveal to you and I'm speaking specifically with regards to acting but I think um it's acting is such a wonderful microcosm for how you can apply that to your day-to-day life 
Because with acting, you cannot force anything. You can't, um, you can't plan and say, I want the scene to be this way. I mean, you can, I guess, and, and it can work fine, but it always works out better when you're open to being surprised by it. And that's when, you know, true transcendence happens. And that's when, um, you can discover something new. And I think every artist can agree that that's the feeling that you're always searching for. That's the fulfillment of it. It's, it's like you're collaborating with something beyond you. Hmm. Um, and you're letting, you're letting it, whatever it is, um, surprise you. And that's when you can, I, I think, affect an audience. And that's why we do it, right? Is so we can positively affect an audience. At yeah. least that's, you know, that's always been my huge reason why I've always wanted to be an actor. I've always wanted to be a part of that magic mm-hmm. not to sound corny but oh, you know what it is it's like a flow mm-hmm. it's like a flow i think like a writer or a, a painter can um a musician it's that feeling of like you're just moving with it you're not forcing it you're you're being inspired by it and you're um you're this sounds so corny and weird but it's almost like you're a vessel for something like mm. does that make any sense yeah, like, like you're, you're you're meant to service a higher kind of energy. Yeah, in a way. Kind something of. is meant it's, to flow through you. Something is moving through you, as exactly. opposed to you forcing, forcing something it. out yeah. of you. Yeah, exactly. And um, it's some. It, it always surprises you because you don't. I guess really, you, it's not something that you plan for. And when specifically in a scene, which is really the only thing I can uh, confidently speak about, but it's that moment of like you know, you know your fucking lines and you know what the action is and you, you know, logically you know what's happening, but then mm-hmm. you find yourself in, you, you're not, um, I don't, I really don't know. I'm trying to explain it and I feel like I'm failing fucking miserably, but like. Hey, failing is part of, part of the <laughs> growth journey. It's like whenever you first start driving, and you're, you know, your hands are so firm on the steering wheel and you're so like conscious, overly conscious of everything around you. And you're, you're, you know, you have, have this fear and this anxiety and you're, it almost kind of makes you a worse driver because you're a little like overly sensitive and mm-hmm. versus when you're kind of driving and you're just in a flow and you, you're not even really thinking about it. And then, you know, you're listening to a great song and you're just in a flow, um, it but it's just a it's a feeling of like just forgetting yourself and you're Mm -hmm. you're in this you're in this scene now and you're you're with a scene partner and you're reacting and then they do something that kind of surprises you and you find yourself reacting to it organically and then that makes them react organically and then before you know it it's takes on a life of its own and you're just kind of a conduit for it and your only job at that point is to just be present and accept it. And it's this feeling of like, oh my God, I'm not doing anything. And it feels wonderful. And it's, mm. you're not forcing it anymore. You know, you're not like, oh my God, the really emotional line is coming up. Like, let me yeah. pet myself up for it. It just happens. And I, you feel, this sounds so lame, but like, you feel like an artist. You feel like you're, you're, um, you're being creative. You're actually in the flow. You're allowing it. Um, you're in pure creation mode. So you know, you know one thing I'm slightly picking up from you right now, and it's it's a little tick that you do where you like to preface a lot of your thoughts by, "Oh, this is so corny, this is so lame," <laughs> and it's almost like right. it's almost like a protective mechanism where you know you talked earlier how you hate 
coming across as stupid and it's almost like you trying to even even though i don't think anything you're you're saying sounds lame or corny but it's almost like you wanting to call yourself out on it in case someone else wants to call you out on it as like a protective i'm like red as fuck right now yeah red r-e-a-d so let's talk a little bit about um a little bit about glenn's class because i know that you said that's something you wanted to talk about i will i will preface this because I know I've just been saying, I, I was just like, oh, Delirium's Daughters, and just expected everyone to know what that meant. So Glenn Morshower oh is one, he's like a father figure to me, right up there with Matthew McConaughey. He has this beautiful acting workshop in Dallas, Texas called The Extra Mile. And um, his primary philosophy is kind of really building that relationship with yourself mm-hmm. so that you can then in turn build that relationship with the characters and, and have a stronger a stronger presence by by having a stronger understanding of who, who it is you even are. So he gets very into metaphysics and I think I I was originally in the class and I invited Sam to to kind of join me and I feel like we both had so many profound breakthroughs through that class. So kind of talk a little 100%. bit about especially yeah. from the acting side and well, especially as as you were kind of gearing up to kind of really going full throttle into into this. Yeah, well I was going to say would you agree that Glenn's class is more a process of like unlearning that 100% and unlearning poor and not even not even unlearning but even recognizing that they're there because there's so mm. many bad habits that you don't even you don't even recognize are bad mm-hmm. until you really sit down and you're like oh wait and it's it's why i love what you said earlier because you were talking about how you know it is still oh, Sorry. No, yeah. you know you're you're the weightlifting has basically just been a different manifestation of the the need for control but in a positive way mm-hmm. and it you have to first recognize that yeah. the original way is the negative way to turn it into the positive oh yeah and that's what i loved about his class is it would it would basically turn your habits on their head mm-hmm. and really get to the root of okay why am i doing this and how is it expanding me yeah oh my gosh glenn Morshower. um love that man i no he made like me a hundred thousand times better of an actor 100 percent. oh my god well i just said a hundred thousand i don't know <laughs> you're doing just, great you're doing great <laughs> just uh talk a little bit about kind of maybe some some of the ways it it oh, shaped the ways your, i love glenn Morshower. let me count the ways Oh my gosh, it just, well, I had started kind of getting into um, metaphysics and, you know, Wayne Dyer and Louise Hay, um, Joseph Murphy is another big one I loved. Um, What's the book you talked about the other day? Breaking the Habit of that, Being Yourself, breaking yeah, the habit. Dr. Joe Dispenza. It's basically about how he refers to your brain a lot like a computer and how pretty much every thought that you've repeatedly practiced becomes like these synapses in your brain that are used to firing and so anytime a like a trigger will will come up then your brain kind of reacts in the way that it's been practiced and so he talks about how that's all a habit and how when you're learning something new it feels so deeply uncomfortable but that's only a habit so you can kind of practice changing it and you know, the way that you think will affect your expectations and the what you expect is essentially the experience that you end up having. And that can get very controversial because, you know, a lot of people will, will then take it to be like, well, you know, what about illness? What about this? And mm-hmm. I'm not, you know, here for all of that. I think that's very um, personal and it varies from person to person. But I do think um, the way that your mindset, your mindset is everything and your your approach to everything is what ultimately affects how how it's going to be produced and so it's very important to 
kind of understand your brain and understand what uh, limitations you think you have for yourself and what, for instance, to personalize it, I think I, I struggled a lot with scene work because I think I had this belief that I always fall short of what I really want. I think I had a belief about that. And I think that would kind of manifest itself in my scene work because I would approach it from a sense of like, oh, well, I'm probably going to, you know, be shit at this, but let me try. Mm. You you find a way to to prove yourself right. Everything is, is uh, a self-fulfilling prophecy in that way. Uh, but anyway, back to Glenn's class. Yes. So Glenn, it kind of comes from the same um, school of thought as, as, uh, as kind of all of those, those thinkers. And mm. he's, he was very big on, on, um, your consciousness and, and, and your habits and, and how all of that, you, you don't think that it's entwined, but everything is connected that way. And so he was very big on know that you're enough, know that you're, you know, whole and complete and any time that you look for something outside of yourself to fill that void then it just it never works out and especially with acting because something about auditioning and having that energy is is not you know as attractive attractive, as yeah as somebody who's walking in confident and you know knowing that they're collaborating versus like trying to impress one thing brian cranston talks about too is he he says that you know, the audition is part of the work. Like you're not going to work. That's mm-hmm. just, that is, that is the work. Yeah. And so it takes, it takes yeah, out of I that. Think, I think his quote was, you're there to do a job, not to get a job. There we go. But yeah, that's, I mean, that's Glenn's philosophy, you know, it's, yeah. it's very much like get your mind right. And you would be so surprised or maybe not surprised at all at how everything else just falls into place. But so in Glenn's class, we would do this warm up with, um, where we would basically just play play catch with everybody in in the in the room, and we would say these affirmations, and it would be he is kind of like I guess a way to combine the physical with the mental because if you're you're throwing a ball and you're saying an affirmation, then it's kind of like your that energy is coming from your core, and then you know yeah. you're sending it to the other person. And it's coming it through and, you as opposed to it just being a thing you're saying. Yes, exactly, exactly. It it has a way for you to you kind of like marry it to your body instead of just like mm-hmm. intellectualizing it. Then he would kind of give a lecture of, and it would vary from day to day, but it would always be. Am I making noise with this? A little bit. <laughs> okay, I'll stop. Um, That's okay. She, since y'all can't see what we're doing, she she has this habit that she always does. By the way, it's like her main thing. But she <laughs> takes her scrunchies and she plays. It's almost like not a nervous habit because I don't think no, you're nervous, no, but it's, it's just like habit, a, something to do with your hands, I guess. Yeah, and um, you know, I was a smoker, so I think that I, I like having some. Talk to do. about that because you, you you talked about how social it was too. So yeah, what what drew you to that? Like what oh what is it about smoking you that wanted, like, attracted you? Oh my god, fucking honestly, Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> like I fucking loved Pulp Fiction. I saw that movie when I was like 14. I saw it, I don't know, like 600 times. Like if I close my eyes right now, I can watch it. And I just really romanticized it. I just thought it was cool. And I really, as pathetic as that sounds, that's really what it was. Is I felt you did it again. so fucking cool. I know. It's, it's a little bit of a social lubricant in that way mm-hmm. that you're, it's not just like, I am having a conversation with this person. Instead, it's like, oh, I am happen to be doing this and now we're talking, which makes it a little bit more organic. Yeah. So it kind of helps. And I'm actually, this is another thing I wanted to talk about because you told me something about the 
addictiveness of cigarettes that surprised me. Yeah, uh, well, there's this book called uh, The Easy Way to Quit Smoking, which I have not read, by the way, but I quit smoking probably like five or six years ago now, and I did it pretty cold turkey, and I didn't struggle with it at all, because in my brain, I was just kind of dumb with it. I kind of felt gross, and, and one of the things that they talk about is that the withdrawal symptoms of quitting is comparable to like a mild stomach ache. And the, they go away within like a week. So we think of it as being this like horrible, torturous, arduous process to quit and that you suffer. But really the withdrawal symptoms go away within a week. Mm-hmm. And one of the biggest perpetrators of them kind of pushing this agenda that it's so addictive is the tobacco companies themselves. Because if, if it gets in your brain that it's addictive, then you think that it's harder to quit, which makes mm-hmm. you more likely to to stay hooked on it which, which makes sense connects because you know we've been talking about how mindset really is the most important uh-huh. thing it's why the placebo effect works oh God, so yeah. well because it's all about what what you think literally dictates what appears mm-hmm. in your and life and that's why a lot of people when they're being treated for illnesses and stuff they're told that you really have to believe in the treatment mm-hmm. we i think we we're still talking about some of glenn's Glenn. kind of that's all the metaphysical stuff but what in you specifically did you track started to, sh- to shift? Oh my God, Because that was such a... You, Literally We've everything. talked about how you've died and come back to life yes. like hundreds of thousands yes, of times. Yes, yes, absolutely. Being a part of that class, I just cannot put into words how... What a positive thing that was for me. Mm. I guess it's one thing to like do the research on this stuff and like on like metaphysics and you know, feel like you're being guided away and then not have any kind of like confirmation that you're headed the right way and blindly trusting it. And then kind of coming upon a class like that, that solidified so many of the things that I were, I was hoping to be true. It seemed like it was just what I needed, especially at that time in my life when I didn't know that it was possible. And just that positivity. I had never, ever in my life been a part of such a positive, supportive, Mm -hmm. encouraging environment. I love what you said, though, about how, you know, it was one thing to intellectualize it, but it was another thing to finally experience it and have some tangible kind of yeah evidence in a way. Exactly, exactly. Because it's super easy to to conceptualize, you know, the lessons and paths we need to take, but it's a whole other thing to let it fully resonate. Yeah. And I think there's there's that mantra of seeing is believing that is very toxic sometimes because yeah, it's the complete opposite. <laughs> we like to, we like to think that we're changing and yet we don't actually allow it to resonate through our bodies until we yeah, see proof that exactly. it's it's actually changed. And yeah, and the whole thing with metaphysics that's it's the op- you got to put the cart before the horse. But that's maybe another conversation. But um another huge thing that Glenn's class did for me is really make me feel like it was okay to be vulnerable. I don't think I had ever had that before in my entire life and yeah it was it was cool to be a, a part of an environment like that I had so many breakthroughs with acting because of that feeling of safety you know you don't feel like you have to protect yourself and you don't feel like you have to put up all of these walls and you know I still have a ways to go in that regards but in terms of acting I definitely feel like I'm oh my god I'm a thousand and one times better an mm-hmm. actor than I was just because I I do feel way more open and I feel I feel safe going there which I I don't think I had before it was a mm. million infinity times infinity oh wow percent. okay Buzz Lightyear <laughs> that was a terrible attempt at a dad joke <laughs> I liked it <laughs> well you are the dad joke queen that's true and so are you. <laughs> 
Okay, I have to give context to that. One of the affirmations was, uh, you're unstoppable, right? Mm -hmm. Where you throw the ball, be like, you're unstoppable. And then the person that catches it says, that is true. And so are you. And ever, we, we did that so many times every single week to now. Anytime anyone ever says that's true, I just naturally <laughs> say, and so are you. And it confuses everyone. Like, what, what are you talking about? But it's just because it's, it's like this inside joke I have with myself almost. Because I'll even make that joke with other extra milers and they don't, like, they what? don't, they're just like, what? I'm like, the, the effort. <laughs> Clearly that affected me more than, uh, than it needed to because it got so. It's, you're like, it's like brainwashed you yes. in, in a good way. A but good hey, brainwashing. You know what? You know what? We're all brainwashed in one way or another. So oh, might yeah. as well it's, brain your, it's brainwash all, yourself positively. Exactly. Healthy, healthily brainwash yes. yourself. Yes. No MK Ultra. That, that'll <laughs> okay, that'll be a on a shirt. Time. Is just healthily brainwash yourself. Yes. Yeah. Of course. It, if you don't, then somebody else will. I mean, that's that's very true. And it, it puts so much perspective into, you know, the people that you surround yourself being oh, so absolutely. emblematic of, of who you become because it really is brainwash and, and I think brainwashing isn't a bad term. It's just, I mean, it's literally washing your brain and, and cleaning it out and kind of then it's a matter of what do you put in there to replace it, but mm-hmm. it's not necessarily yeah. a bad And when it comes to, to change and brainwashing, it's, yeah, it's it's not so much getting rid of it as it is replacing it. Mm-hmm. And with, um, yeah, with so many things, it's just like fix, change where you're putting your attention. Yeah. And that's one thing Abraham Hicks talks about. <gasps> is, I yeah. love that. Yeah. And yeah. you, you tell, you, you're, you've told me about this all the time too, where it's, you're much more likely to get a green light when you focus on gr- getting a green light as mm-hmm. opposed to focusing on not getting a red light. Exactly. Yeah. Whatever you put your attention on grows. So even if you're, you might think that you're thinking about or you're focusing on like something, your desire, but a lot of the times you're thinking about the lack of it. And so mm. understand. Uh, when you come from lack, coming, that's exactly. what expunges. <laughs> exactly. I don't think I've ever said, ex- I haven't said expunge in like years since today. So I don't know where that word just came from. It was, it was what was in your heart. <laughs> I, I guess so. My heart's just feeling expungy, expungy today. Expungy, yeah. Yeah, nice. I guess I'm trying to be a sponge by you, soaking you up. You are a sponge. You're so... <laughs> Thank you. Oh, sorry. I almost hit you in the face. Um, but yes, yeah. so Matt, I, I would say, what do you think has been the biggest shift in you from from maybe when... Maybe how about let's let's go even more aggressive, not like rawr, but <laughs> what would you say since I've known you was the most powerful biggest shift that, that you've uh, had? Like if you I've could, so if you had to choose just one, one major, um, major, maybe lesson, just yeah. in just since you know you you kind of because I feel like it was such a chapter kind of mile marker once you left. redacted from the record because it was a way of mm-hmm. you telling yourself, okay, now. I'm really going to dive into yeah. into acting and really really taking it seriously and, and realizing I'm worthy of of having that be my career. What 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 would you say is kind of what what was the turning point? Oh man, I don't know when the turning point was. I don't think there was one specific turning point. I think it's been just kind of a progression of learning the same lesson over and over again until mm-hmm. it's kind of um, my modus operandum. 
Um, but I think Modus I've learned... Modus operandum. I think that's what that is. You're going to have to explain that for stupid folks like me. I think... Doesn't that mean like it's your like your default setting? Oh, Emma, I literally could not tell you if you were wrong or right. Where's Jamie? Jamie, pull that up. You know what? I think the best thing that I've... I've done and I've consistently done it over and over and over again mm. is I've done things that just scare the shit out of me. Mm, I so love that. I think that's really built up my confidence. Fear is the unknown. Ah. And so it's almost like you, your biggest, your biggest kind of, I guess, step forward has been finally allowing yourself to not have to control everything and facing that fear of the unknown and, oh, yeah. and realizing that you've come out of the other side and yeah one, exactly one just piece. letting myself experience it and realize like okay i'm not gonna die this mm-hmm. you know okay it didn't go perfectly and i'm still living and breathing and you know life that, that makes me want to talk a little bit about redacted from the record just actually <laughs> we don't want to say the project's name probably okay <laughs> but yeah, yeah i will bleep that out <laughs> talk about unnamed project unnamed project where you oh man it's hard to talk about it without going into specifics but basically it was a theatrical project that i did that i was terrified because it involved audience participation at certain times throwing popcorn i think i was proud of maybe like two performances that i did um I was terrified the entire time that I did that. I was like just an anxious, nervous wreck. I never enjoyed it, if I'm being completely honest, because I was so terrified that I was going to fuck up or that like an audience member was going to throw a line and I wouldn't be able to improv back with them. So it really, really Mm. stopped me. I would be interested in doing it now because I think I'm much more confident in my ability to do so. But I'm glad I did it because... I don't think I was good at it. I'm not proud of it, of my performance in it, but I still did it. And um, yeah, I think I'm I'm always doing things that I'm not really sure I can do. And then just something about even just trying it is enough for me to build my confidence. So. Hmm. You've slowly started, because let's just use, for example, you've always been so scared of being wrong right let's just use that as an example Mm -hmm. you've been so well at slowly chipping away at that and admitting when you're wrong and i i feel like (laughs) i feel like over the last couple of years you've really you've really gotten better at at accepting flaw and allowing it as a source of growth as opposed Mm, to yeah um at least that's what i've tracked and i mean clearly by by how you're now looking at um zombie sorry uh (laughs) clearly how you're now looking at that show um you have a a different head where you're you're starting to see see those as learning opportunities instead of yeah for sure i i don't think i'm like super yeah i think i can say that i don't think i'm like super intimidated by projects anymore i think i know i'll be challenged but i definitely have the confidence and the trust in myself to know oh i'll figure it out Mm -hmm. and so that has been huge for me because i'm not like I used to get so, 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 so nervous before doing a scene or before doing any kind of project and I'd be in my head about it. And then now I'm just like, oh, I don't know, but it'll be fine. I'll figure it out. And I, you know, I kind of do. And so that's, it's been wonderful to discover like a trust in myself creatively, which I think has then filtered into, you know, every other aspect of myself. And like you said, just jump into the the unknown and know that there's there's a safety net that you're never mm-hmm. you're not gonna be shot and you're not gonna die. So don't tell that to Bruce is... Wayne's parents. Well, they weren't performing. If they were performing, um, they wouldn't have maybe died. Okay, 
I don't know why I was about to try to think of people that died while they were in show. Like, that's such a weird thing. So you actually, you grew up going to Catholic school. That was something very foreign foreign to me because I know one point you were talking about how you would drink wine which was called the blood of jesus Uh uh-huh so it's like a roman catholic tradition that you go to mass they don't call it church they call it mass and they Mm. um the priest will do this thing called transubstantiation which basically it means that he's turning the 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 wine the house wine and the the bread into the uh the blood and body of Jesus Christ. And so you take communion. So you take that and it's like you're, you're, you're taking that within yourself. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, I, <laughs> I just like the wine. <laughs> I'm terrible. <Yeah. laughs> I mean, I wasn't ever terribly religious. So I think the final story we'll talk about is I want you to talk a little bit about the woman in the sauna. Cause I think that um, really? perfectly, dis- okay. or maybe not. I, I just I feel like it sure. perfectly describes you as a person. Oh, <laughs> it you. does. So sweet. Um, I was in the sauna at the gym. I there was a woman in there who we we you know we usually at the gym around the same time and we always just like say hi to each other. But so we were in the sauna and it was just the two of us. I told her, oh, you look amazing, and she said, uh, oh no, I hate my body. Of course, me being very metaphysical and borderline you know superstitious with your words i was like no you have to you know you you gotta you gotta love it and then it'll it'll love you back and you gotta put that in and so we just had a little pep talk about Mm -hmm. loving yourself and uh i don't know i'm glad i was there because i i think um it was perfect we've all had moments like that of insecurity and sometimes all you need is a person to you know tell Mm -hmm. you you're being silly and And so i'm glad i was there to see what i love what i love about that though is that it's such a perfect uh it's such it's such a perfect example of of being completely present and even more so just how one one thing can can you know open open the possibility for a wonderful just a wonderful moment of connection like that was just in asana with a woman that you don't really know that well but you having you know the presence to be like hey you know like it, it allowed for a meaningful moment to happen the problem is that i have so many things i want to talk and ask you about you're so like I, bursting with i know ideas. i know i i, I, I already I already knew you were going to get a part two as for which episode i, I want to talk about the candle and even more so the candle the candle that your mom lights for oh. manifestation and like the shrine because you said every single latina household yeah has the shrine yeah. and i want to talk a little bit about that because i think that that's something especially me being like white straight guy i don't know anything about that <laughs> that world and so i'd love to hear oh, a little yeah. bit about about uh, that not every mexican household but a lot of mexican households and a lot of like old school Mexicans will have like a shrine and so it's my my mom has this the shrine in her room and it has the bible and a virgin mary statue and a rosary and actually she also has like a baby jesus in a crib like a doll that it's too much to get into i'm not gonna get into it interesting i so i know someone that she carried around like this little this little basket with baby dolls in it Mm. um Anyway, the the rosary. <laughs> yes. But yeah, so she has this candle and it's this, it's a white candle and it's, she got it from Mexico and she kind of lights it to whenever she wants to set an intention and um, whenever there's something that, you know, any of us are going through, but she'll, she'll light it and just, she'll say thank you for health, for instance. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's a huge, 
thing when it comes to manifestation is you you declare it and you give gratitude for it in advance instead of asking for it you just kind of you open your mind up to the solutions for it it's not like it's a magical thing let me say this real quick it's not like it's magic it's not like you just speak it and then it happens it's more like you're you're putting i like to think of it as like you all of a sudden put glasses on and it, it gives you a lens of solutions that were always there, but you just hadn't thought of them or they hadn't presented themselves to you. Well, it, it really is almost like it's becoming the space that allows what you're looking for. It, it's almost like, you know, you become something that would that would bring it to you. It's kind of like the law of attraction, but something about taking the time to just let it resonate in your body almost gives you the way of holding yourself that is exactly what what is needed to yeah. bring that thing because and that's one thing that glenn would say is he would yeah. say become the thing that attracts the thing you like to talk about the phone call uh-huh uh, oh that's that's a technique that um i don't know which te- I, it might be neville goddard that teaches this but he it's a technique where you create a situation in your head where you're talking to a friend on the phone and you're imagining your friend telling you, oh, congratulations, you you did it, you whatever, you got your house or whatever, whatever it is. And so something about like hearing that will get you into the 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 energy that, that you need to be in to mm-hmm. kind of open the doors for it. Me and you have historically been able to talk, talk forever. For, I, we used to, after Glenn's class, we, we would, would just... We would stay and talk to like five in the morning, literally. Yeah. I would go to work like a zombie. Mm-hmm. Thank you for spooning with me today. I love spooning uh, with you. Oh, thank Anytime, you. anywhere. What about the DMV? Yeah, especially spoon, the DMV. Especially the DMV. Yeah, you, you need all the TLC you can get there. For sure, because your, your driver's license looks like a mugshot. Well, that's because I was at the DMV. For exactly. five hours. That's a whole other story. Okay, I love all of you, even though I've never met you. Just stay I love ha- you too. Thank you for listening. Yes, stay happy, stay safe. We we know that you know time is so valuable and I appreciate you taking that time to, to listen to what what we've had to say. And I hope that you continue to expand your perspective as you continue to live your life. I don't know why I did that kind of <laughs> delivery. See, now I'm in actor mode where I'm like, well, why did I deliver that line like that? Uh, I didn't reveal my objective. Exactly. Anyway, I will 